great privilege it is to worship in 2021. Welcome to the new year, 2021. Oh, I thought I'd get a little more than that. I tell you what. All the things that David mentioned, as well as some of us have lost loved ones this past year, got new jobs, that's me, right? You know, you know those, those stress, uh, uh, those charts where if different things happen, you know, new house, move or whatever, all these different things. Man, my, my number is a little too high, so I'm looking forward to 2021, you know. Uh, not a new job, not a, a loss, or not this or that. So hopefully, more than anything, you and I recognize that God is present every single day, whether it's a good day or a bad day, whether your circumstance is good or bad, or whether you're confused, or whether you're understanding what's going on. All things work together for good. But that's not just how the verse goes, does it? For those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And we need to remember that. And the good comes through the, the bad and the good things. So welcome to 2021. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 3 today and going on into chapter 4 and looking forward to sharing. I'm going to spend a lot of time in the first few verses at the end of chapter 3 and then not quite as much time in chapter 4. So don't panic if you look at your watch and we're still in 328 or 329. It'll be okay. We'll be able to finish up. Did you know that uh, January, a number of people say, has been named after the Roman god Janus? Have you ever heard of that? Very interesting. Uh, Janus, the picture of, of this Roman god Janus is a man that has two faces. All right, you heard of that phrase before, two-faced? One is pointing back, and one is looking forward. And a number of the depictions or statues will show uh, that uh, the one is often portrayed looking back as a face that's more sad or perplexed, and then the one looking forward is a face that's more hopeful or confident. And you see that a number of times. And I, that just speaks to me as a Christian. And for you, to, not the Roman God doesn't speak to me, but the idea of looking back or looking forward. Thank you. Don't send letters. I don't need those sent. I'm not. <laughs> it's just we're in January. It's how it started. But I want us to think about something. And I've got scripture to go with that is that we need to have that forward looking face. Amen. Christians. Confident of the work of Jesus in our lives, and we need to be full of hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Amen? Do you have hope in Christ Jesus? Can you look to the bright future that you have in Jesus Christ? I'm telling you what, I believe 2021, it's a bright future for us. I believe that. Do you? I'm here to tell you that 2021 is going to be a great year in the life of Hoffmantown Church, which means also in the lives of us. Amen. Philippians 3, 12 through 16. Let me give this as exhibit A. Not that I have already reached the goal or I'm already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Have you been taken hold of by Christ Jesus? Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, all who are mature should think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth 
we have attained. Paul resonates with me there. Forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. That doesn't mean we deny that our past has happened or we deny that things have happened, but we don't live there, we don't dwell there, we look to the future. So that was my 2021 sermon. That's all you get. We're going back to Galatians, all right? But interestingly enough, our Galatians passage, we're moving from the more historical that we saw last time to the more personal. We're moving from more of the institutional to the individual. We have a lesson today about something that I think is new and exciting. We're reminded today that we have a new status in Christ if we're a believer, if we're a follower of God. We have a new status and it's, it's a new radical change for believers. And the big idea today for you to think about is this. By grace, we are all God's adult children. By grace, we are all God's adult children. And it is he who unites us as brothers and sisters. So let's jump in. 3, verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And ladies, don't get hung up with sons, okay? All right? We are children of God, all right? So we're, we're sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you has been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Underline the word one. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Now I say that as long as the heir is a child, he differs in no way from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Instead, he is under guardians and stewards until the time set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were in slavery under the elemental forces of the world. But when the completion of the time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. You see why I said we're God's adult children. Okay, you see that? And then verse 8. But in the past, when you didn't know God, you were enslaved to things that by nature are not God's. But now, since you know God, or rather have become known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and bankrupt elemental forces? That's a tough question, isn't it? Do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? You observe special days, months, seasons, and years. I am fearful for you that perhaps my labor has been wasted. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your scripture. Thank you that we can just read it, and immediately it speaks to us. It applies to us. It affects our daily life. It affects our worldview. It is the system of which we look at things that happen all around us, and we're grateful for your word, and we thank you for that today. And we thank you that we can be heirs, sons, adult children, that we, through faith in Jesus Christ, can have that right relationship with you, God. Thank you, God, for saving us. Thank you, God, for giving 
us the gospel. Thank you, God, for giving us new life, that we can be new creatures. And we're reminded that the old has passed away, and all things are becoming new, and we're grateful for that. So speak to us this morning, Lord, in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to look at the first point and spend some time here today. And this is the last uh, verses of chapter 3, verses 26 through 29. And I've entitled it The New Community. If you'll think, we're new. If you can't remember how you were before Jesus came into your life, before God saved you, you need to have a little memory check, right? And you've heard me say this before. Those of us who were saved a long time ago, each decade it seems as though it becomes a little more difficult for us to realize that we were just a dirty, rotten sinner like you fill in the blank. Whoever you know out there that you think, wow, what is, if God could just get a hold of their life. Look, we were sinners. And God saved us and brought us into the new community. And, and the verse 26, I think there's three astounding statements or phrases, if you will, about the new status of all. This would be, as Paul's writing, remember, not just to Jews, but to Gentiles, of all true believers. And it starts right off with the first phrase in verse 26. It says, for you are all sons of God. And I want to tell you something. Our sonship, if you will, derives from the sonship of Jesus. You remember John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, talking about Jesus, who believed in his name... Jesus, the Word, He gave them the right to become children of God. Do we believe that? Isn't that part of our gospel presentations a lot of time? We, we share. You can become a child of God. You can be part of the family. So our sonship derives from the sonship of Jesus Christ. Well, it goes on. Not just you are all sin, sons of God, but then it says through faith. You see, it is not by nature that this happens. It is not by human means. It is not by human effort. It is not based on your IQ or your bank account. No. It is faith alone. It says through faith. We no longer require this guardian or this tutor that we saw last week. We don't require this anymore. We're reminded of Ephesians 2, 8, 9 that says, For by grace are you saved through faith and not, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so no one would do what? Would boast through faith. Well, it clarifies even more. For you are sons of God, all sons of God, through faith. And the last phrase is, in Christ Jesus. Now, that's interesting. The phrase, in Christ happens at least 172 times in Paul's writings in the New Testament. And what does that describe? In Christ, in Christ Jesus describes participation in and union with Jesus. Duh, Lamar. Well, sometimes we forget how simple that can be. We participate in what he is about, and we have union with him. And it's for every believer, not just some, but every believer... How? It's by that indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we receive when we become Christians, God's Spirit. So think about that. That verse 26 is power-packed, I think. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Well, let's pass the offering plates, pray, and go home. That's good, right? No, there's more to be done here. But that is a, encapsulating something very, very important. And I want to ask you the question this morning. 
and simply this. Whether you're right here today or whether you're watching online, the question is this. Are you new? N-E-W. Are you new? Are you part of the new community? What is your status with Christ? Does it fit right here with this verse? Well, let's move on. Verse 27 uh, is an interesting verse. This verse contains the only specific mention of baptism in Galatians. Now, some scholars would debate what's going on right here. You're going to find out just in just a moment that I'm a Baptist and, and, and what I think is going on right here. But let's just look at that. It says, for as many of you have been baptized, there's that word, into Christ, have put on Christ. Uh, let me quote Timothy George, scholar. Uh, he says this, baptism in the New Testament implies a radical personal commitment involving a decisive no to one's former way of life, remember that? Look back or look forward. And an, and an emphatic yes to Jesus Christ. So that two-faced thing kind of works. It's a, it's a no, we don't look back to how we were. It's a yes to Jesus and what's happening in the future. Well, I have to, I have to break some news to you. I'm a Baptist. In fact, I'm a Southern Baptist. Even though I don't have a big drawl, I am and so I'm going to park here a few minutes, and I just want to talk about baptism for a minute. And I would ask that you would just pray right now that people would be receptive to what baptism is and what it means. Because I fear not everyone is in that place. Please take note, though, here. Just get out of the way. He's, he's not talking about some kind of saving baptism. I know that's out there, but, but I, that's another time, another excursious we could go on and look at how uh, my friends that believe that are just not interpreting the Bible correctly. It's, it's not that. And it, practically it's easy to understand that. What has Paul been doing in these chapters? He's been refuting the Judaizers' addition of what? Remember? Of circumcision into salvation. Why in the world then would Paul say something like, well, you need to add baptism to salvation? That's not what he's talking about. Of course he wouldn't do that. You see, Jesus Christ and water, or Jesus Christ and anything else, would profane the grace of God and render useless the death of Jesus Christ. Let's go back to chapter 2. Look at chapter 2 real quick, verse 21. Let's not forget what we looked at just a few weeks ago. It says this, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, look at that, then Christ died for nothing. Okay? Well, let's spend just a few minutes in, in the area of baptism. This expression from Paul concerning baptism, and, and oftentimes we see baptism as a metaphor or a symbol. But I want to tell you something. Listen closely so you don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. I think, uh, unfortunately, sometimes we overemphasize metaphor or symbol. And what I mean by that, we, we, we take sometimes out how profound and how important believer's baptism really is. Now, if you'll read the scripture in the New Testament, at least as far as I can discover, apart from the thief on the cross, there's no one in the New Testament who repented and believed in Christ that did not also become a baptized follower of him, the people that are talked about. 
So I'm going to say something to you very boldly today, and it's this. Baptism is no more optional than discipleship is. How's that? So why be baptized by immersion as a believer? Well, Jesus ordained it. Jesus commanded it. Jesus even did it. He identified himself with us in his own baptism. And here in this verse, the idea of putting on Christ is a picture of what? Remember, I'm crucified with Christ. Is a picture of dying and resurrecting. Now, that's expounded on in Romans 6, 7, and 8. You can take a look and study that if you want. But in baptism, we picture putting on Christ. We profess to be his disciples. I've heard it this way. Uh, when, when we uh, are baptized, it's our public profession. It's letting everybody know what has happened in our life. And this idea resonated with the early church. So uh, to this point, most of you are like, yeah, I go to Hoffmantown. I understand what all that means. But I want to tell you what it meant to the early church and how profound it was and how foundational it was for them. The early church, this resonated with them. Uh, they literally stripped off their clothes prior to baptism. Now, don't worry. We're not going to do that here, okay? All right. Boy, that would make the newspaper or the TV, wouldn't it? Hmm. Be all over the internet. But that's what they did. Uh, they emphasized believers' baptism by immersion so much. Did you know they had a 10 step process dealing with baptism? Let me read this to you real quickly. I'm just going to read you 10 things quickly. If you want more information, we could do that later. We don't have time today. But number one is this catechesis. You might think catechism. They had a time of probation and a period of intense instruction in the fundamentals of the Christian faith. So before they were baptized, they went through the ringer, so to speak, and really to make sure they understood and instructed the fundamentals of the Christian faith. Now, we do this with kids when they're baptized. Why don't we do that with adults? Maybe we do, maybe we don't. But it's so important before we publicly profess Christ to everyone and what he's done in our life, and we have this new life, and we're a believer, and we're following him, to really understand the fundamentals of Christian faith. Number two, they had fasting and prayer up to 40 days, according to the early church fathers. Number three is the word renunciation. The baptismal candidate would recite, excuse me, would renounce the devil and all his works. Wow. Number four, credo. The person would then recite a confession of faith. Number five, I'm sorry, it involved disrobing. Yes, they did. They disrobed. Number six involved immersion. This has been the historical, the orthodox way. This has been all the way through the New Testament to today. In fact, the word that's used, and many of you know that is baptizo, which means to dip, to plunge, to submerge. It doesn't mean to sprinkle. It doesn't mean to pour. It's the picture of a garment being dyed. Are you familiar with that? We don't even know that anymore today, do we? But picture a white garment put into red dye. That's a big deal, isn't it? But if you don't put all of it under, guess what? It's not all going to be that color. So, uh, immersion. Six. I think I'm on six, maybe seven. A new robe. As they finished, come out of the water and they were done with baptism, they received a new white robe coming out of the water. Number eight, anointing. 
They were anointed with oil. What does that symbolize? That symbolized the presence of the Holy Spirit. Number nine, there was laying on of hands, which commemorated a commissioning to go forth and witness. Isn't that interesting? The challenge was there. The laying on of hands was not just, hey, Lamar, you're great. We're so glad you're a Christian and a follower. You're part of the way, and here you are, and you've let everybody know. No, it was more of, hey, we are praying for you that you will go forth and witness and share. And then the tenth one, we know about this, the Lord's Supper. And they had a strong belief in the Lord's Supper. They believed, the early church, that only properly baptized folks should partake of the Lord's Supper. It was a huge deal back then. And I state all of that to say today that I believe there's an absolute priority. Any true believer should be baptized. What do you think about that? It's not preached that much today, but I I think it's strong. I think we need to issue the challenge to folks. It's part of discipleship. It's the first step. And the question for you today, if you're a true believer, have you been scripturally baptized? Have you been scripturally baptized? Were you a believer before baptism? Were you immersed? Has that happened in your life? If not, why not? I dare say any reason you could give me would not be adequate. And let me just share two quick examples. Uh, Age or physical ability. I'll never forget when we baptized, uh, and I've told this story before maybe, when we baptized a a gentleman way up into his 90s. You remember that story? And I wondered why there was that many deacons in the water with us. Well... It was, he had to sit down and be in a chair and all that. And then the last deacon was there because he had a death grip on the, the, the acrylic. And so we couldn't get him down, all right? If he can do it, we can do it. And then a lady that uh, I, I remember counseling her for 20, over 20 years, she was never baptized because she had a fear of the water because she couldn't swim. Now, this is an adult lady. And the Lord convicted her so much that finally... She submitted to believer's baptism. Isn't that interesting? And you know what happened to her when she went down? She did not drown. When she came up, she spewed a little. I will admit that. You know, you know, breaching the water, right? But a smile was on her face. And she felt so liberated because she would lived under the conviction, the need, the discipleship need, if you will, of being baptized. It's a paramount aspect of discipleship. And I would say just give me a call if you're not sure about that. Let 2021 be the year that all of, all of us who are true believers here at Hoffmantown, we make sure that we have been baptized in the correct sequence and in the correct mode, if you will. I want to challenge you to do that. No one will look down upon you. No one will think, well, why didn't he do that sooner? Why didn't she do that sooner. No, we will celebrate with the fact of taking that step, that public profession of Christ. Maybe we'd be a little bit more like the early church, and, and, and uh, I don't want to have a 10-step a process, but to see how important that was. Okay, rant is over. Aren't you glad? Wow, I feel so baptistic right now. But let's move on to verse 28, because then we move into another verse that talks about Christian unity. And let me tell you something about this verse right here. This verse is often taken out of context. 
for political agendas or for ideological agendas. But I want to tell you something. This verse is simply an astounding statement about unity. That's what it's about. Look at it. For there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If we were going to underline a phrase in our Bible, we would underline that. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. What an astounding statement. You see, it matters not who you are. If you are saved, you are one with all true believers. Isn't that amazing to think that? I mean, look at me. I'm ugly. Most of you are much more beautiful than me. But it doesn't matter what I look like. I can still be one with you. Maybe I have a different ethnicity. Maybe I was born in a different place. Maybe I'm old. I am. Maybe you're real young. It doesn't matter. We are one with all true believers. Let us let Paul's life illustrate this verse. It's amazing. Paul did not cease to be a Jew once he became a Christian. He was still Paul. He was still a Pharisee of Pharisee. He, he, he did not, that did not change. But he became a Christian. Now, let me note something else. Many times you guys ask me, what translation are you using, Lamar? I use the Holman Christian Standard Bible. H-C-S-B, right? Some people have called that the hardcore Southern Baptist Bible. Well, that's not what it means, all right? <laughs> if you like NASV, great. If you like King James, great. If you like uh, ESV, fine. The CSB is a new one, not to be confused with the HCSB. It, it, it matters not to me if you are reading and studying, if God is speaking through, through, you, through his word to you. We know that scripture is what? It's God breathe all of it right actually life breath and that's why it impacts us the way it does so have at it but I'm going to admit something today my translation does not do a good job in verse 28 and maybe yours doesn't either because it should not say uh, no male or female do you see that what it should say there according to the Greek is this there is not male and female not great English but you hear that? There is not male and female. And this distinction is made clear. We go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. It doesn't say male or female. It says what? He created them male and female. This is prior to the fall. This is prior to the entrance of sin. And I want to tell you something. Modern society cannot change this. Male and female. What, what Paul is saying here, it matters not. If you're the guys or if you're the gals, okay. We're all one with true believers. But let's not get this idea that we can pull this thing out and say, oh, I can be whatever I want. No, that's not what it's saying at all. Christian unity. Isn't that astounding, that statement? And then we move on to verse 29. Furthermore, we see, and if. He says, and if. And he's talking about heirs. He says, all of this, you are an heir to the promise. And I would just say to you today, aren't you glad? I'm so glad. Are you glad? Well, let's move on into chapter 4, and we'll move more quickly through this. In verses 1 through 7 that we just read, I think we see a radical change, and we need to notate this. 
It's basically a change from slavery to what? We were slaves to sin to sonship or to being the adult children of God. And, and we see that. First, we see a little bit about the past in verses 1 through 3. Paul uses a common illustration that his readers would understand, that we would understand. And it was this. We were once children, and we were in need of a, a guardian or a steward. I like the word trustee, if you know what that word means. We were in need of that. Maybe thanks Think perhaps of a trust fund and someone hits 18 or 21 or whatever and then it's no longer administrated by trustees, it is theirs. So picture that, our, our past, that we were once the children that way. We were in bondage to slavery of sin, but now as believers we take possession of the promise. And then we get to verses 4 and 5. And we see the coming of Christ. I don't want to read this. This is powerful words right here. Look at 4 and 5. But when the completion of the time came, God sent his son, capital S, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. You see why? See what's going on there? So that we might receive adoption as sons. So it is a brief, highly charged passage right here showing us justification by faith. We're saved through faith in Christ Jesus. And we're adopted. And what a great picture that is. I've been adopted. Anybody in here been adopted? Just me? A few of you have, maybe? So my name wasn't always Morin. But my dad, who died on August 2nd, came into my life as my stepfather. Uh, I don't, how old was I? Nine or so? But through a process of time... He adopted me. Do you know how big that is? The amount of fathers I had in the past or other men in my life that abandoned me, that did horrible things, that abuse was involved, to have someone who would choose to adopt you. Now, I know that's not as dramatic as someone who was in an orphanage or, or I mean, my mom was still in the picture, so it wasn't like I didn't have a mom or a dad. But, but the idea, and it's been more profound to me ever since dad died, uh, of just the choice. He didn't have to do it. He chose to do it. And it's a powerful statement. In fact, adoption is a powerful thing. I know some of you are in the midst of that process right now. Some of you have uh, children who are in the midst of that. That is a powerful and important thing. To bring someone from whatever state they're in into your family. And could I also say it is a great a tool for evangelism and discipleship. Think about uh, that child who might not hear about the Lord and how much their love by God brought into your family and you're able to share that with them every day. But the coming of Christ here shows what happened and what God did and what Jesus did, and it's that we might receive adoption. And then we see verses 6 and 7, the Spirit in us. And because your sons, you've been adopted, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father, exclamation point. Just as God sent His Son into the world, so He has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. The word is noima, breath, life. Let me say it this way. Don't split hairs here. Just realize that we get what Jesus has. Aren't you grateful? We get what Jesus has. 
And you can look in Romans 8, uh, verse 9, especially 15 and 16, that talks about this process almost word for word here, what we're reading here. And we become an heir, a child, and we cry, Daddy. Is that what it says? That says Abba. That's Aramaic. Daddy. Any, any guys in here? Now, make sure your wife doesn't hit you. Where your little, new little darling said, Dada, before Mama? <laughs> no one will admit that. It's actually easier for a child to say Dada than it is Mama, to the chagrin of some of our sons. Yes. And Abba was one of those words that children could say. And that's, we get the idea of Daddy. And I say, praise God. We can be adopted. We can be a son or daughter. We can be God's adult children. And we can cry out to him, Abba, Father. Praise God. We are an heir. Listen, there are no second-class Christians. We're all adopted. That means we receive all the rights, responsibilities, privileges. We receive all that. And we are not second-class Christians. We are an heir to the promise, and we cry out, Abba, Father. Well, let's finish up today with verses 8 through 11. Here's what I want you to do today. I want you to ponder these. We're not, we're not going to spend a ton of time here, but I want you to really think about what these verses are talking about, what your life looks like, what it has been going on, what your life could look like in 2021. But I simply entitled this section, Don't Turn Back. Do you know anyone who's turned back? They were going so well. They were in love with Jesus, and then they turned back to something. I know it's true. I've had conversations with a number of you about your children or family members or people you're concerned about, that they have kind of turned back to something. You see, there's always the danger of reverting to our old ways. Now, I, I don't believe this statement here is all a statement about losing one's salvation. I don't believe in that at all. But you might say, well, that guy, you know, look what he's doing. No, if you're truly saved, you're saved. The question is, were you truly saved? But if you're truly saved, you, no one can snatch you out of Jesus' hand. And then he goes on to say, again, no one can snatch you out of my Father's hand. It's clear if we're truly saved, we're saved. Rather, what this is talking about here, I got to stop for a minute. Been around the kids a little bit. I cannot pronounce R A T H E R. Okay, just being honest with you. Did you hear what I said? Some of you are going, yeah, you English teachers. I always say rather, so I apologize. I promise I'm educated. I, I, I even got A's and B's, but uh, the word is rather. That just hit me. One of my sons. If he watches this, he'll be glad to know that I was able to say, rather, I can't do it. This is rather a temporary (laughs) backsliding into the Galatians' worship of pagan deities. For them, it was then they backslided into some of this stuff that they had known. You know, all these little, these gods with the little G, these deities. Or for some, it was turning from the grace, the free gospel, back into the law, works. We know God. He knows us as his children. That's what's clear as we see in verse 9. It would be such a shame for you or for me to go back and dabble in our lost past. Why would we want to do that? Why would we want to go back to pre-salvation? 
when we are a new creature in Christ. And Paul is, is pretty adamant about it, and he even says in the final verse here in verse 11 that this possibility of temporarily backsliding, this possibility of going back and dabbling in the things of lostness instead of our new life in Christ made him feel that he might have failed. Do you see that? I'm fearful for you that perhaps my labor for you has been wasted. Remember the battle he is in with the churches of Galatia. The battles, they start out so strong, and now these Judaizers has dumped this load on them, and they're trying to figure out, they're starting to follow some of them even, these extra things that go along with salvation. So I would say to you, as Paul would say, don't turn back. Those two questions are so powerful. How can you turn back again to the weak and bankrupt elemental forces? Do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? And my question would be stated this way. Where are you right now in your Christian life? Where are you? I don't know where you are. But God knows and you know. Where are you in your Christian life? And I want to tell you something. I'm, kind of, I'm, I'm just a real person. I don't have it all together. Please don't put me up on a pedestal. I am a struggling Christian trying to live the abundant life, trying to follow Jesus, trying to be impacted more and more by Jesus, just like you. Okay? I had to take a shower this morning, just like hopefully most of you did, or bath. Right? My hair is falling out. It's starting to get gray. It's okay. I'm a real person just like you. So when I ask you, where are you in your Christian life right now? It's a question I ask myself all the time. But it's good to take inventory. It's good to consider where we are. I had a guy tell me years ago this. In the Christian life, you're either moving backwards or you're moving forward. And I went, great. But the more I've thought about it and the older I've got, I think it's true. Each day we make a choice, don't we? We either move forward or we're going to slide backward. So when we think about back, backsliding, don't think about, well, I would never go back to that or do what that guy's doing. No, think about it even incrementally. Today we have a choice. You guys made a good choice, you hear, first of all. Thank you. I was whining to myself this morning, thinking, oh, January 3rd, nobody's going to be at church today. Everybody's still gone or they're quarantined or whatever else. Thank you that you're here. That's great. So that is good that you're here. I want you to think, though, about this day. Will you move closer to Christ or take a tiny step back? And what about tomorrow and the next day? These are things we need to think about. We have this picture, the coming of Christ, we're adopted, and because of that, we've, we've got what Christ has, even the point of we're children of God, and we cry, Abba, Father, don't turn back. Let me close in this way, remembering our big idea. By grace, we are God's adult children, if we're believers, and he unites us as brothers and sisters. Let me challenge us to do this. Let us forsake legalistic religion. Let us focus more on relationship. Let us focus more 
on the grace of God, the free gospel, and less on this, this, and this law. Let us run to the personal relationship with the God who saved us. You see, he's not just Emmanuel, God with us. He's the God who saved us. And he wants, he desires, the creator of the universe blows my mind. I don't understand it. The creator of the universe wants to have something to do with me, a sinner. Isn't that amazing? Have you thought about that? He wants to have personal relationship with me. He's standing at the door and doing what? Knocking. He wants to come in and do what? Sup with me. That's, the, that's how I memorized that verse. What does that mean? To have fellowship with me and you and you. Now, unfortunately, this doesn't matter if you're not a child of God. Do you know for certain that you have that personal relationship with the Lord? Have you confessed your sin to him? Have you repented? Have you turned from it and turned to him? Trust that he can save, that he will save you from your sin and slavery to that. Has that happened in your life? It doesn't have anything to do with church attendance, church membership, whether you've been baptized, that dad did this or mom did that. It's between you and the Lord. Do you know that, that, that you have been justified through faith in Christ Jesus? That he paid the price for your sin and for mine? If you're not sure, sure today... You can turn to him. Scripture tells us that today is the day of salvation. I like to think in my mind that all around the globe today in all the time zones, people are being saved by the one who saved. Aren't you glad? And that can happen here. That can happen online if you're listening. You just, you, you don't need a priest or a pastor. You can just do that with the Lord and repent and turn to him. Ask for forgiveness Trust, take all that you are and trust him. He's the God who saves. He's the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings. Let's pray. God, thank you today for uh, your word. And God, I said a lot of words today. I, I pray that people will be able to sift through some of these words and will get your word in their heart just like you want it to be. But God, you'd speak to us. I don't know what it is, maybe. Some have taken a temporary backsliding position. Maybe some have struggled with the issue of baptism. God, maybe today some are realizing as you are, your word is that double-edged sword as you have thrust it into some folks and they realize I'm not a true believer. I don't have that relationship with Jesus. God, that you would work. God, that you would save. God, that you would transform. God, that you would uh, help others to be righted on the right path. To be dedicated once again to serving you. 
So God, speak to us today. And God, I just want to tell you thank you as a believer, as I join with my brothers and sisters. Thank you for adopting us. Thank you for placing us as an heir. We are so grateful. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for the family that we can be a part of it. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.